Thanks for downloading the In Our Time podcast. For more details about In Our Time and for our terms of use, please go to bbc.co.uk forward slash radio 4. I hope you enjoy the programme. Hello, I'm joined today by historian Neil Ferguson and political scientist John Keane to examine the question of the just war. The historian A.J.P. Taylor wrote that the medieval pursuit of the just war is a pursuit as elusive as the Holy Grail, for it's almost universally true that in each war each side thinks itself in the right and there's no arbiter except victory to decide between them. So is the Christian idea of the just war simply a way of justifying aggression or is it a moral position to take? Professor John Keane is Professor of Politics at the University of Westminster and Director of the Centre for the Study of Democracy. He's the author of Tom Paine, A Political Life, and Reflections on Violence, an analysis of war through the 20th century and the ethical implications of violence. He's taught in Yugoslavia and was supposed to be directing a summer school in Montenegro right now, but it's been cancelled because of the current conflict. Dr Neil Ferguson is Fellow and Tutor in Modern History at Jesus College, Oxford. He's an enormously prolific writer, and along with regular reviews and commentaries in the newspapers, his books include a history of the Rothschild family, which led one reviewer to say that the book reaffirms one's faith in the possibility of great historical writing. Virtual History, a defence of the what-if theory of history, which became a bestseller, and significantly for us today, The Pity of War, his controversial view of the First World War, which comes out in paperback later in the year. John Keane, George Austin Archdeacon of York, has said, all war is evil, but a just war is a lesser of two evils. Do you think there is still a, a real notion of a just war? Yes, there is, but uh, it's looking much more tattered uh, more than a thousand years after its birth. The doctrine of the just war emerges out of Christian pacifism. Christianity was originally, in the European region, pacifist. It had certain heroes, Maximilianos, uh, who refused to serve the Roman consuls and was put on trial and executed. And out of that, uh, the collapse of Rome in particular, 410 uh, AD, uh, Christian thinkers, above all, it's uh, Augustine in De Civitate Dei, the city of God, who tries to outline a new justification for Christians taking up arms. And this is the doctrine of the just war. Uh, it's a complicated doctrine, but to put it very simply, it suggests that there should be a bundle of thou shalts and thou shalt nots when it comes uh, to war. War should be uh, a last resort. War uh, should be to redress uh, violations of rights. War should be declared openly. War uh, should uh, probably uh, uh, be uh, winnable. Uh, uh, the means should be proportionate to the ends. Uh, there should be a distinction between combatants and non-combatants, civilians, and there should be no humiliation of the vanquished. This uh, was a way, uh, in the hands of Augustine and many subsequent thinkers well into to modern times, it was a way of saying that violence uh, should not be unconstrained, that, it, uh, that the use of violence should be tailored to certain moral ends, and that the, the means chosen should be proportionate to the ends uh, selected. That, that's a, a terrific survey, and of course Augustine was formalised in the 13th century by Aquinas and then taken up again by Grotius, and, and so it went on. Uh, but they were all uh, against the basic notion of Christ, which is what they tried to both come from 
uh, and the same time modify in the real world as they saw it, where he said, according to Matthew, I say unto you, love your enemies, do good to them that hate and persecute you. So the essential pacifism was something that a just war was trying to combat. Do you think that it ever got away from this uneasy uh, position of actually being in flat contradiction, frankly, to the source of its original inspiration? Christianity has not, and uh, well into the 20th century, uh, there is great discomfort about, uh, about war. Uh, every modern pope uh, has had uh, something to say, some precept about, for example, uh, the invention of nuclear weapons or the pursuit of unjust uh, forms of war. But it seems to me that the uh, important fact is that uh, we Europeans have a long-standing tradition of recognizing two things, that pacifism is self-contradictory in many contexts. The principled refusal to use violence can encourage uh, the violent, and it can lead to the most terrible outcomes. The second uh, uh, contribution, I think, of the just war tradition is that it uh, proposes that violence can become an end in itself, that the use of war can be, uh, uh, can be self-annihilating. Uh, and that therefore there ought to be certain uh, uh, regulations, uh, certain uh, restrictions under which uh, violence uh, has been used. That uh, tradition uh, has not been exhausted entirely, although uh, if one takes, if one puts on uh, very large giant's, uh, giant's boots and surveys uh, the modern world, uh, well, you see that uh, just war doctrine uh, has uh, partly been superseded by, say, the 19th century belief that war would wither away in trade and commerce, and also, above all, uh, the just war doctrine has been uh, weakened by the belief that war is justified to defend nation-states. Can I uh, ask Neil Ferguson, the idea of the just war has been used on occasions which some people have claimed have been the bloodiest occasions of war. Let's keep out of this century for a moment. We'll have plenty of time to talk about it. For example, the Crusades was a holy war, just war. Everything, uh, it was pre-Aquinas, but everything that, the, that they said about just war applied to the Crusades. And yet, that is one way of looking at the Crusades. Another way of looking at it is, it is a savage war in Jerusalem alone. 70,000 Muslims were killed. Jews were locked up in their synagogues. The synagogues were burned to the ground, and so on and so forth. Do you is your view that there's anything more to the notion of a just war than a mask, a convenient mask, or even a camouflage for the constant uh, aggressiveness of states, kings, potentates, the powerful? Not a great deal more. I mean, I think I'm probably with, with Taylor um, in arguing that uh, in any war, uh, all concerned will claim to have justice on their side. Um, and I think I'm also with you in, in thinking that there's a fundamental contradiction. Indeed, uh, you might even say the idea of just war is an oxymoron because in practice, moving away from the exalted level of, of theory but to look at the reality of war, uh, war is unjust in the sense that the people who get killed in wars are very rarely the people who will the wars in the first place. Uh, so I think my own hunch about uh, just war is that um, it might even be a, co a complete contradiction in terms and also, I think uh, there's another contradictory quality to the, to the idea, uh, and that is that often the rational use of force uh, in Clausewitz's sense in the 19th century sense that you should use war to achieve your uh, political ends when other means fail, that may actually be in conflict with 
um, the notion of the just war, that when you start confusing uh, the use of force to achieve political ends with uh, moral imperatives, then sometimes these things can come into conflict. Uh, and I think this is something which uh, we may even be seeing uh, today. Before we come to today, or to the 20th century, just to talk the theory, anyway, in some way, do you think there are no uh, humanitarian, moral, religious theories that hold about war? Do you think it is always to do with the worst side of nature expressing itself? What, implied in what you say is that war is just a vicious, murderous, bloody business which people, mainly men, uh, practice on each other and have practiced, and let's stop dressing it up. Is that what you think? Well, not quite. I mean, I think uh, there is a legitimate role for the use of force uh, in international relations. Uh, I don't think... So uh, what would the basis for that legitimacy be in your view? Well, a pacifist position uh, in the Second World War would obviously have been a completely bankrupt one uh, in the face of a a regime, the Third Reich, which was manifestly uh, an evil regime. Uh, It's very hard to think uh, of, of a definition of evil which it doesn't fit. Um, so I think there is a, a I mean, I'm not a, a pacifist. I'm not a, a strict pacifist, although I think I probably have um, pacifist instincts. And certainly when I confront the reality of war, uh, looking at the reality, particularly of industrialized 20th century war, I find it very hard not to have a kind of instinctive revulsion, particularly when I then see, alongside the industrialization of slaughter, clergymen and politicians using the language uh, of moralism and of uh, justice, however they care to define that, to justify mass death. Pacifism is quite interesting because one of your books, which, as you know, I admired immensely on, on, on Tom Paine, he talks about he would be a Quaker if everybody else were a Quaker, but until they are, he's going to take up his musket and thank heaven for it. That's almost the dream. Uh-huh. Um, but the Quaker tradition has been a very honourable one, in, and we, it's valued in our society. Do you think it is completely... Uh, do you think it's without any... Where do you think the inspiration for that comes from? Why do you think that intelligent and deeply decent people, as we know the Quakers I know to be, hold on to that so tenaciously and have managed to do so? There are two sources. One, uh, uh, the older, is, of course, that uh, pacifism originally has Christian roots. To repeat, Christianity was originally, uh, in the, under the Pax Romana, it was originally pacifist. But I think in the 20th century, uh, one can see a, a long-term rebirth of uh, pacifism, Uh, It's certainly evident uh, in the public discussions about the current war for the Balkans. And it is uh, a child, I think, of uh, two basic developments uh, in 20th century war. One is uh, the uh, spread of total war. Uh, The war, the form of war uh, embodied in aerial bombardment, uh, in the invention of the bomb. Remember uh, Kersler's remark that the 6th of August 1945 was probably the most important day of the 20th century. Uh, the uh, spread of total war uh, is repulsive. It violates uh, any moral precepts, uh, and uh, it's not surprising that there have been some who have recoiled against total war and adopted the pacifist position, thereby uh, putting themselves in a contradictory uh, position. The other development, I think, is the growth of uncivil wars. Forms of war, we see uh, uh, forms of these uh, in the Balkans uh, at the moment and have for 10 years where uh, ends are totally lost, where the means triumph, in which there's moral mayhem. Uh, The kind of uh, warfare conducted by uh, Arkan, uh, Mr. Rajnyatovich, Slivovitsa swilling soldiers uh, who like to spend the day raping, killing, burning, murdering. 
uh, and uh, feel tired and happy at the end of the day. But that isn't new in warfare. I mean, we've, when that, uh, there's the, uh, you were talking about the end of the Second World War, when the, uh, the, the, the German Corps in the, uh, in the Baltic states, is that, is that right? You were talking about the... the uh... Well, the idea that war continues yeah. even after the official mm. war is over is a very important one, and indeed precedes the official war. After all, what's happened uh, recently in, in Kosovo happened in 1912 uh, in the First Balkan War in exactly the same way. I think that there's a, this is a very important point that, that actually Freud made rather well during and after the First World War, that there is a kind of instinct for violence, he called it the death instinct, which is a kind of integral part uh, of uh, the human uh, beast. And I think that that can actually be unleashed without anybody needing to blow a whistle and say, here beginneth the war. Uh, and how to contain that? Well, maybe that's part of the, of the pacifist uh, conception, that somehow one must use the teaching of Christ to contain this fundamental instinct for violence, which seems to be almost a, uh, a perennial facet of human nature. I know we, you, it is very difficult not to talk about Kosovo in this context, and we all get to that, but I would like to, because what everybody else is talking about, I would like here to just try to, first of all, to somehow contextualise it with this idea of the just war, which has persisted, perhaps it's been a fig leaf, but it has persisted now for hundreds and hundreds of years in the West and, and, and in different versions in, in, in other parts of the world. And look at the 20th century as a whole. So looking at the First World War, in the context of what you've just said, Neil Ferguson, again I come back to the fact that you seem to have a view of human nature. This is not an accusation, it's a description of what you've said, if I'm wrong, you'll tell me. That is, it is murderous. There is a murderous, vengeful, instinctively killing streak, which cannot be denied. And yet, when we're talking about the First World War, which you've written about, um, you talk about that as an accidental stumbling in, which doesn't seem to. Uh, in its beginnings and even in its first year or so, uh, conform to that pattern at all. Does that does that make any sense to you? Well, I think one of the points that one ought to make right away is that the First World War breaks out when uh, notions of international law and international justice are uh, still semi-developed, they're half-baked. Uh, you've had uh, the Hague uh, peace conferences and there are all kinds of resolutions about uh, how war should be avoided uh, and it's all, uh, so to speak, uh, put in the waste paper bin when, when the war begins. Now, the war begins uh, with all sides claiming to have right on their side. For example, it begins over Serbia uh, when the Austrian uh, government presents the Serbs with an ultimatum uh, after the assassination of the heir to the Austrian throne. And the ultimatum basically says, we have the right to infringe your national sovereignty. Uh, now, this was after an act of terrorism which the Serb government seemed to be implicated in. Uh, but then the, the ball starts to roll. The Russians see uh, their fellow Slavs being threatened by this uh, invasion of, of their sovereignty, so they wade in. Uh, the Germans then claim that they're being attacked by the Russians because the Russians appear to mobilise before the Germans do. And then finally, to end it all, uh, enter uh, Britain claiming that uh, we're intervening uh, because of a treaty signed in 1839 which upholds the neutrality of Belgium. All concerned for the duration of the war claim to have right on their side, and almost all, uh, leaving Turkey aside, claim to have God on their side, the Christian God. Um, and so it seems to me, if you wanted to illustrate the complete bankruptcy of the notion of just war, read about the First World War. Do you agree with that, John? Uh, not at all. I think that uh, the combined effect of thinking that human nature is prone to uh, evil and violence and the cynical view that all moral uh, precepts in matters of violence are simply uh, masks uh, for uh, interests that are ruthlessly pursued, 
leads uh, to uh, into a cul-de-sac. Uh, you don't accept, understandably, as I do not, uh, the precept of pacifism. It's self-contradictory and it, it produces absurd outcomes. It would, a pacifist position would, in the current war for the Balkans, for example, uh, lead to a justification of violence. But that leaves, what does that leave? It leaves, I think, uh, in your position, it leaves uh, a lot of uh, unclarity about the conditions, the terms uh, the, uh, under which uh, violent means can be used for uh, the resolution of conflict. But and it seems to me easy. that one of the uh, long-term uh, effects of uh, this violent century uh, is the return of just war doctrine. It is going on at the moment... Uh, and it has been for some decades. It is a reaction against total war and uncivil war, uh, and the rebirth of international humanitarian law is, I think, uh, symptomatic of this. Uh, we but will John, look back paradox. on May the 27th, paradox, yeah. 1999, Louise Arbour's decision uh, to indict five uh, Serbs, including Mr Milosevic, on war crimes, crimes against humanity. We will look back on this as a very significant uh, development. But significant yeah. only because it illustrates the contradiction I mentioned earlier between the rational use of force between states uh, and the notion of a kind of moral order in the world. Now, in the First World War, it seems to me clear that once you had uh, a moralistic conception of what the war was about, it tended to perpetuate the conflict. It made it impossible to seek a negotiated comp to achieve a negotiated uh, compromise between the warring states particularly once the Americans had become involved and Woodrow Wilson had set out a doctrine of uh, self-determination as the basis uh, for a European order. Uh, that made the war last longer and the notion of some kind of compromise with uh, the central powers became more and more remote the more Britain and America particularly appealed to the idea of an absolute moral uh, future for which they were fighting. Uh, and I think this is the great problem. Uh, that once you start claiming to have justice on your side rather than simply to be using force to achieve your political objectives, which are as defined at the beginning, it becomes harder and harder actually to stop the war because the moral victory requires total victory, unconditional surrender by the other side. I think this is a caricature of uh, just war doctrine. Just war doctrine but it's what is experience not, suggests. Just war doctrine is, uh, is not and has never been uh, moralising. Uh, rather, it emphasizes the importance of putting war on trial, of thinking about the conditions under which war is justified, and accordingly measuring means and ends. Uh, I think uh, if one wants to talk about prudence in war, uh, which is an alternative, the only alternative, it seems, to pacifism and realpolitik on the other side then one has to be in favour of uh, some uh, species of just war doctrine. Just war doctrine does not mean that we ruthlessly, ruthlessly pursue uh, a given end despite the fact that nobody else or few others agree with it. It rather emphasises that there are certain limits and constraints upon the pursuit of ends. There's, uh, and there's in any so case, many. There are so many kinds of justice which can be invoked here that yes. it seems to me ultimately to become impossible to differentiate between them. Self-defence is one, which I think few would dispute. I mean, there's no doubt that a war of self-defence is, is, is a just war if you're attacked. But what about the idea of, of the defence of another state which is attacked? Now, why should one do that? Because in the 19th century concept and the early 20th century concept, uh, indeed right up until 1939, you would do it because you had a contractual obligation, a treaty of alliance which says uh, if they're attacked, 
we have to help them. Uh, and uh, that's another, it seems to me, perfectly straightforward notion of, of just war. But then it becomes harder and harder when you start to say that you're fighting for, say, human rights. I mean, what does that exactly mean? The right of self-determination is a right which was almost in some ways invented uh, in the 20th century or in the late 19th century. Now you're fighting for self-determination. What does that mean? The determination or the right of a people to be independent, to have their own state. Now we know from the 20th century that once you start to apply the notion of self-determination in Central and Eastern Europe, what you actually do is you create the potential for an almost endless uh, uh, parity where uh, violence uh, is almost unstoppable because there are so many potential little nation-states uh, in the Kosovo's uh, and in the Bosnia's. But the idea that, that morality has, has no place, which you seem to be suggesting, and the idea which made your, your, your book on the First World War so uh, controversial, that, that we would have been better out of the First we being Britain would have been better out of the First World War uh, and better just let it Germany win and uh, therefore we would have had European Union earlier. Noel Annan, in contradiction, said that there wouldn't have been a European uh, dominated by German democracy but by German militarism, and that would have had far-reaching consequences, which I think is a, is a sound point of view. That, and, and all you said, one could agree with, with the tendency of it, but when you come to another war, the Second World War, uh, the idea of it being just, the idea of morality having a central place there, is, I would have thought, but you two are the expert, but nobody's an expert on morality, so I've got my five pennies there, like every listener has. In the uh, Second World War, the idea of a just war uh, can be uh, brought to bear. Well, absolutely, um, in the sense that you're fighting uh, a dreadful regime in the form of the Third Reich. But there's a problem here, and I think it has to do with our, uh, our hindsight about the Second World War. There are many people today who I think genuinely believe that the Second World War was fought uh, to stop the Holocaust and to stop the annihilation of the Jews of Europe. Uh, and this is not true. Uh, the Second World War was fought because finally uh, Britain decided uh, that a, another central European state, in this case Poland, uh, could not be carved up by the Germans as Czechoslovakia just had been. And uh, it was really on the basis of one of those 19th century style contracts, alliances, uh, pledges that Britain went to war uh, on behalf of Poland. Now what happens to Poland in 1945? Answer, it is handed uh, from dictatorship one to dictatorship two. The big problem about the idea of the just war uh, in the case of the Second World War is that in order to defeat uh, Nazi Germany, uh, Britain ended up having to uh, ally itself with a regime which was in many ways uh, as uh, repulsive, namely the Stalinist uh, Soviet Union. Now, it, it, with hindsight, of course, it was a very, very, very good thing uh, that the Nazis were defeated and the Holocaust was stopped before it was uh, pursued to its uh, ghastly uh, conclusion. But in practice, what made the Holocaust possible, what made mass murder of civilians uh, in Eastern Europe possible, was the outbreak of war. The Holocaust begins properly. The persecution of Jews and the mass murder of Jews begins with the outbreak of war over Poland. And that is a terrible paradox, just like the paradox that we end up on the side of Stalin. John Keane. Again, just war doctrine doesn't uh, uh, solve the problems of means, ends, uh, uh, contradictions. Uh, all war uh, is uh, full of friction, as Clausewitz said. But this is, again, the key reason why the measurement of means and the clarification of moral ends uh, in the pursuit of war is imperative. 
If we look at the current uh, war for the Balkans, uh, several things are striking. Uh, the uh, war conducted by NATO has some elements of uh, just war doctrine uh, therein. A war was pursued as a last resort against Milosevic. Uh, it is being conducted in the name of uh, the violation of rights and the opposition to, uh, to genocide, a word which some, Bruce Kent and others, don't like. Uh, and there is uh, uh, contained within this war some vision of, of, of passion for, uh, uh, of compassion for the vanquished. But uh, there are some other striking things. The lack of clarity about the ends uh, of this war. It is all very well, and here I agree uh, uh, with Neil Ferguson, that uh, talk of uh, humanity is too abstract. This uh, is uh, probably, the historians will look back on uh, this uh, war and see that this was a war uh, for a certain definition of Europe. Either there will be a war-ravaged uh, southeast uh, 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 European uh, region which uh, permanently disrupts the process of European integration uh, and the, the chaos will spread uh, to Macedonia and Montenegro and so on, or there will be a European Union-backed protectorate uh, and pacification of, uh, uh, of Europe. It, it seems to me that it's imperative to be clear about what the ends are, uh, and they're certainly not uh, in public uh, being made clear enough. In just war theory, yes, but we're coming towards the end of the program, unfortunately. Neil Ferguson, do you think that the Second World War was an exception in, in, the sense, in this century, on the whole an exception in being uh, susceptible to the description of a just war? And do you think that wars since, uh, before and since, have been more to do with accident, chance, and man's inhumanity to man, and we shouldn't confuse the issue of uh, basic instincts, as it were, with um, moralities laid across, in, in your case, often uh, uh, laid across to extend and uh, uh, make wars worse. Well, I think that in, in the 20th century there's actually uh, a, a continuity that uh, Britain has tended to fight wars uh, to uphold uh, the integrity of sovereign states. And when that's been violated, whether in the case of Belgium in 1914 or Poland in 1939, we felt obliged to act. And that, of course, is why the problem uh, raised by Kosovo is such a profound one. Uh, the Blair Doctrine says you can actually intervene inside uh, Serbia over uh, the, the future of doesn't Kosovo. That have a humanitarian, doesn't that have a humanitarian extension of the just war? I mean, is that possible to argue that? Well, it, th that's obviously what's being argued by uh, Messrs Blair and Clinton at the moment, but it does represent a break with the norms of international law which were established after the Second World War uh, under the United Nations Charter and then the Helsinki Final Acts that the integrity of nation-states was the sort of starting point uh, for international order. Uh, and I think that's, uh, however one justifies it, and obviously it is a good thing to try and stop people being uh, massacred uh, in Kosovo by an odious regime like the Milosevic regime. One has to acknowledge that we are now into terra incognita, uh, where the notion of international justice is once again, uh, and for the umpteenth time in the 20th century, being redefined to suit uh, one side in a conflict. Is that, that's a, that seems to me a terrific point for you to give a brief response to, I hope, John Keane. Is the just war doctrine basically the justification of the victorious, which AJP Taylor said, and I quoted at the top of this program? Not always. And in this particular conflict, uh, historians will tell us in some years to come that it was not simply that. Just war uh, principles... Uh, to repeat, uh, 
emphasize certain limits upon the uh, use of violence. Realpolitik does not work. And there are certain uh, lessons from the 20th century, and one of them is that realpolitik, uh, the pursuit uh, by states of war as a means of defending their populations, uh, often produces the most uh, horrendous outcomes. Uh, the legal situation is now much more complicated and the rather heartening thing is the rebirth of international humanitarian law, which places limits upon characters of the Milosevic type. Well, thank you both very much. Thanks, John Keane and Neil Ferguson. Thank you very much indeed. And thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this Radio 4 podcast. You can find hundreds of other programmes about history, science and philosophy at bbc.co.uk forward slash Radio 4.